Hello and welcome to Plot Trists. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're talking about The Wallflower Wager by Tessa Dare. This is our new release for the month of August. It just came out, uh, I guess, a week ago? About a week ago, yeah. Number three in the Girl Meets Duke series, right. And we previously read and reviewed the first two, if I'm correct? Yes, we did. So uh, we've already read, we've already posted the first two in the series. Uh, and then this is the third one. And I think it's safe to say it's your favorite. Uh, yes, I loved this book so much. I, I, it, it's a toss up. There's, this book is really, really good, you guys. I, I truly loved this book. Like, I think it is like a masterpiece of romance literature. <laughs> I think I, it, it's a toss up for me. I, I really like all three. I don't know yeah. if I have a favorite. I really like all three too, but I just, I just loved this one. I mean, I think I'm starting to just love Tessa Dare and will read anything she puts out. Well, I think that I, I have been there for a little while, but like this one just really took it over the top for me. So I'm like major fangirl today. <laughs> okay, so let's dive right into the book jacket. They call him the Duke of Ruin. To an undaunted wallflower, he's just the beast next door. Wealthy and ruthless, Gabriel Duke clawed his way from the lowliest slums to the pinnacle of high society, and now he wants to get even. Loyal and passionate, Lady Penelian Campion never met or lost a wounded creature she wouldn't take into her home and her heart. When her imposing and attractive new neighbor demands she clear out the rescued animals, Penny sets him to challenge. She will part with her precious charges if he can find them loving homes. Done, Gabriel says. How hard can it be to find homes for a few kittens? And a two-legged dog. And a foul-mouthed parrot. And a goat, an otter, a hedgehog. Easier said than done for a cold-blooded bastard who wouldn't know a loving home from a workhouse. Soon he's covered in cat hair, knee-deep in adorable, and bewitched by a shyly pretty spinster who defies his every attempt to resist. Now she set her mind and heart on saving him, not if he ruins her first. This is not my favorite book jacket of hers. Uh, yeah, I mean, I still think it's pretty good compared to some of the others. Like, I think that it brings, I actually think it's very thematic and it does some really good things. <laughs> yeah. I'm going I'm to talk about ruination, like, at length later in this review. Mm -hmm. So I love that they bring that in here. Yeah, and it's not that it's a bad summary. I just think usually when I read Tessa Dare summaries, there's something that makes me laugh out loud in hindsight. Mm. Like an in-joke for someone who's already read it. Yeah, And I think this one is a little bit more, here are the facts. It is, although you might notice that he clawed his way from the lowliest sums to the pinnacle of high society. <laughs> yes, I mean, I, but I didn't need to read the book to know why that was funny. This is true. This is true. It wasn't an in-joke. It was a very out-joke. I guess, I guess that is true. I guess that's true. But, but no, I mean, it's accurate. It is. It is. And I would have read this book from reading the summary for sure. 
I mean, yeah, but at this point, we're just reading anything that has Tessa Dare on the cover. Anything with Tessa Dare's name, Tessa Dare's name on it. Yes, I am going to read this from now from now on unto eternity. <laughs> pledge. This is your like romantic pledge for all. This time. is my this is my romantic pledge. This is my pledge to you, plot trist readers. <laughs> So, as usual, we came up with our own quick summaries using a random number generator. This week, we came up with a number 20. So, okay. Meg. Yes, I will. I'll go ahead. All right. Who ruins whom is the question in this romp of a romance. Somehow, bad boy plus wallflower plus animals plus friends plus kids equals perfection. I think your love of it really came through there. I love I. I if you hadn't caught it yet, guys, I love this book. All right. And my 20-word summary is, lust at first sight for Lady Penelope, especially when she takes in the view from behind. Gideon is our type. He's such, he's so our type. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Just like, Meg's going to rave about the whole book. I think I'm going to need to go on a, a monologue about Gideon at some point because he is oof. That is that is fair. Let's start let's start with our usual review of some of the romance tropes. So one of them, and I, I think this is definitely plays into it being our type, is that the hero, so Gideon, he's this lowborn bastard, and now he's like the richest man in London who can use his influence to just get whatever he wants. Yep. He is. So he's definitely wrong side of the tracks. I mean, let's talk about the fact that his last name is Duke. Uh, I loved it so much. And the thing is, you know to a degree that it's probably something he made up or was bestowed upon him ironically, but the book never explains it, and I love that. Uh, I loved it so much. Oh my <laughs> just, look, I loved everything about this book, but it's because it like hits all my all my all my buttons like it, it just it, it, I loved it all well a lot of times characters that are of indeterminate family like name themselves and it ends up being this massive plot point yes I know that I hate that but I just really like here that it was left to stand on its own yes yeah you didn't need it to be explained so I thought that was great um and as an extension of his bad boyness becoming ruthless he also has a lot of mommy issues yeah, he has a lot, a lot of mommy issues. And um, heroes with mommy issues are a definite trope. Oh yeah, oh yeah, we've we've seen it, we've seen it everywhere. Um, and it's definitely as part of his personality, but I don't think it defines him, which I really liked. Agree. Um, so, and then we've got traumatic past. Are really on on both of their parts here. Yeah, he had a rough upbringing, as we've discussed, and she had a traumatic incident in her past that shaped a lot of the way she viewed the world and men. Yeah, which leads us to the next trope, uh, which is that he's not good enough for her. So he feels that he just isn't good enough to lick her boots, you know? Well, and so to get a little bit into the plot, uh, Lady Penelope featured prominently in the first two books in this series. Mm -hmm. And of the women who hang out in her house on the street, all of whom are, for whatever reason, somewhat shunned by polite society in which they have a right to live, mm -hmm. she's the Earl's daughter. So she's the most, you know, blue-blooded of the lot. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she, um, she has a dowry of 40,000 pounds so plenty of money. And she's, her parents are in India. Her father's an ambassador of some sort. So her brother, who's the heir, is in charge of the familial estates up in the country. Mm-hmm. And she's sort of taken over the London house as her compound. Exactly. Supervised by an older aunt who's very sharp. Yes. And so mm-hmm. she's, he is this, as we said, bad boy financier who took, who bought the property next door. And part of the reason he bought it was knowing there was an Earl's residence next door. Yes. So knowing that there was an, uh, a spinster noblewoman living next door is going to add some cachet to this property. In his mind. So from the very beginning, even before he meets her, he knows of her as this representation of her class and as a potential to increase his profit. Exactly. So again, from the beginning, he has a plan to basically to use her um, to make him more money. But lest, dear listener, you worry that this is the conflict. Nope. Not at all. From the very first, and it's not a big deal. Oh my Uh, God, I love it. I love it. But this is all to say when he doesn't feel fit to lick her boots, he doesn't feel good enough for her. He simultaneously detests the aristocracy and feels so othered by it. Yeah. Um, And then you also get the feeling that she's really like the first person of the aristocracy who he respects in any way. She also sort of is the first person of her class who he's really attempted to get to know. Yeah, that's true. And not to say that he hasn't had good reason for hating the members of the class that he has gone after. Mm -hmm. But you don't get the impression he's got a lot of friends, let alone aristocratic friends. Oh, yeah, for sure. And by that, I mean, you know, he doesn't. Yes. I mean, it is. It's explicit. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Um, uh, so this is one of my favorite tropes. We, I have, um, oh no, we lost our clothes for some reason. <laughs> yep. That happens. That happens. There's the, um, we have to stay at the inn. They're, they have their pickup rooms and they select a suite claiming to be brother and sister rather than husband and wife. Yes. But perhaps, well, not my favorite part of this book, but one of my favorite parts of the book is, of course, they get back to town pretty late. All her friends are waiting for her. And one of her friends says, oh, I bet there was just one room in the end, huh? I've, I've seen that excuse before. <laughs> and didn't she use that excuse? Oh, I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure this excuse has been used in a Tessadera book for sure. <laughs> um, one of the other ones, sort of as an extent of that, following up on their night at the end, is that it's written all over your face. Uh-huh. Everyone knows when Penelope's had a romp with Gideon because they can just tell from looking at her. I mean, yes, but also she she knows that they're going to tell, so she just tells them. Yeah, no, but I'm just saying the, yeah. the trope of, oh, the second you've done something, everyone can tell. Of course. We've got a little bit of uh, animals equating personality. Or at the very least, oh, an animal likes you, that means you're good. Right, we've got a little bit of that. However, if you're thinking this is all puppies and kittens, we're thinking mostly goats with this one. Yes. Yep. Uh-huh. So there's that. Um, yeah. I think her aunt is a little bit of a trope. Not in a bad way. Like, yeah. But the, the guardian who make, presents an ultimatum. 
Yes. In order yes. to improve the lives of their ward. Definitely. And then, of course, the trope to end all tropes, the bad boy. He's the right kind of bad boy. Uh-huh. Because he's bad. Yep. He's ruthless. He's done bad things. Like, he blackmails people. He ruins entire families. Yeah. But? But he would never be a bad boy to Penelope. Well, and not only that, he is very reformed by her in general. And uh-huh. not that he regrets being ruthless where necessary. And not that he regrets treating bad people yes. the way they deserve to be treated. Yes. You get the sense she's taught him to be a bit more discriminating. <laughs> right, right, right. Not everyone who's an aristocrat is bad just because they're an aristocrat. Some of them are bad because they're bad people. <laughs> right. Come on, makeover tropes. Yes, but I also really liked how they had the makeover in reverse. Yes. Um, it's amazing. So good. And when I mean, I don't mean that she put on ugly clothes. That's not what I mean. <laughs> I just mean she, he sees her in different outfits a lot because they keep ruining her outfits. <laughs> her clothes are shredded. Yeah, like several times in this book. It's really good, you guys. Um, one of the things I loved about this book is that it's so funny. It is so funny. Tessa dares. This series has been funny. This series with the little girls who kept murdering their dolls. Yes, that was really good. Um, I don't know. I I thought this book. She every chance she got to be funny, she took, and it it was a lot, but it was it was just the right amount. Like it was so funny. Um, uh, I think that it is sitcomy, like in the best way. Yeah. In that, like, yes, there it was predictable. There are times when you're gonna, you can kind of predict the joke, but it's so well, it's pulled off so well that it's so funny. I would watch this TV show slash movie. Oh, one hundred percent. This would be. I would watch this miniseries. There were several scenes that you could see, like being staged. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, And then this, to me, this really hit the sweet spot in the series where you have established characters from the other books. And they played such a good role here. Um, I I loved it. Just speaking of like the wider characters that have been established already. I love what this said about female friendship. Yes. And maybe this is just the place in life that I am like in my late 20s, early 30s, like, my friends and I are still super close. We still love each other. We're still there for the big moments. We're still really defensive of one another. But yeah, sometimes the weekly rituals fall by the wayside in the name of independent obligations. Mm-hmm. And I think this, without dwelling on it too much, really captured that time in your life. Yeah. And I thought yeah. it was great to see it portrayed in a way that wasn't angsty. It wasn't like, oh no, I have no friends. It was like, they all have good reason not to be here and they'll be here when I need them. Yeah, yeah. And then sometimes they're there when you don't want them around. <laughs> right. Um, so oh, I, so good, so fun. Um, the, like the, also, I thought she did a great job. So you talked about female friendship. I thought she did a great job with like the male bonding as well. Yep. Um, so good. So many times in romance novels, like there, there's like, they, they bond, the masculine bonding is over. Like they have a big 
they punch each other or they have a duel or something. Mm-hmm. And there's a little bit of that here, but in what other novel have you seen them bonding over um, being midwives together? You know, I loved that whole sequence and don't know how to talk about it. I this that that's as far as I'm going to go because I I don't I don't want to spoil it because it's so funny, so good. I loved it because it was hilarious, and it really gave you the sense of who all three of them were as characters. Yes, at the I same loved time. It. It was hilarious and it was clearly there for comic relief, but it was also actually really important to the plot, I felt like. Mm-hmm. Yes, it really was. It's so I, good. It was great. It was so good. It was really good. Um, so there is, of course, not of course, but there there is a conflict in this novel. There is a bit of a big misunderstanding where she sees some papers that she shouldn't have seen and it causes a rift, but this rift lasts for about three hours. And then she goes to talk to him. We struggle with the ones we like. Yeah. Because we so don't want to spoil them. So we feel like all we say over and over is read it, read it, read it, read it, read it. But I'm going to try to do this justice. So in this book, they're neighbors. And so they're sneaking around a lot and they're working together. So the deal is he wants her to get rid of the menagerie to increase the property value. And her aunt wants her to get rid of the menagerie as part of proving she's serious about staying in London on her own. So they both have reason to want to get rid of the menagerie. It's not one of them pressuring the other. So they decide to work together. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the early scenes are of them working together to find homes for these animals and maybe being confronted with her friends. But part of the deal with her aunt is she also has to make a more of an effort in society at large. Mm-hmm. And so the first time she attempts to do this, they go to this masked ball and it's for costume party. And it's for the intent that he can escort her because that way he can wear a mask because everybody knows if she were seen with him, it would ruin her and that would defeat both of their purposes because she wouldn't be allowed to stay independent and he would then ruin the lady he needs to still be valuable for his house. And they run into people who knew her way back in the day when she first made her debut. And both of them handle it so badly. Like the worst possible way that you could handle this. (laughs) She immediately reverts to being like her most self-conscious 16-year-old self. And the aristocracy as a whole gets his blood boiling so fast. And he like literally turns into the the dark knight. You know what I mean? Like he's not a knight in shining armor. (laughs) yeah he you know he defends her don't get me wrong he is wonderful to her but talk about like a scene that is both comedy and really moving and really vital to the plot and really representative of who the characters are it was just every note was pitch perfect so good so funny um i i even loved the terrible vegetarian food (laughs) So this shows up in the earlier book, so it's not much of a spoiler. Obviously, the woman who, I shouldn't say obviously, but the woman who loves animals is a vegetarian. And she does her best to create imitations of meat with vegetables and other non-meat-based products. And And, um, they're not really successes, so it's like pretty disgusting food, actually. And her friends tolerate it because she's otherwise a wonderful hostess because they love her. But no one's ever really honest with her about how gross her food is. 
Until Gideon, of course. But it's so much better than that. It's not just that he's the first person to ever tell her the truth. He's also the first person to take it seriously and to try to help her. Yes. Oh, I loved it. And he is not, he at no point considers becoming a vegetarian. No, not at all. But it's important to her. So he takes it seriously. Yeah. Well, and can I tell you, oh my God, I loved it. So they go to the inn where, of course, they there's they have to stay, where they lose their clothes for some reason that I'm not going to get into, but they're, <laughs> the clothes are lost. <laughs> um, and oh, another trope, by the way, uh, girl in the guy's shirt. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's got to wear a shirt. Of course. And nothing else. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's disappeared, everything else. <laughs> Um, so anyway, but this is before, before they lose their clothes, they're really hungry. Um, so they want to eat and he orders all this meat. So he orders like kidney pie and like roast beef and all this stuff. Um, so he says, I want one of everything. And he says, no, make it two. And she says, I can order for myself. And he's like, yeah, obviously you can order for yourself. This is all for me. It's like, you can read and you can order what you want. And like, this is the moment where she's like, oh my God, like he is taking me seriously. He's ex- he's respecting my autonomy. He, I like, it was so great. I loved it. Yes. Oh, so good. So good. So, um, Meg, are you ready for your rant? Okay. All right, guys. So I'm going to, I, this to me is what made this book in my eyes perfection. Um, I think before I rant about it maybe we should talk briefly about the the trigger warning okay um, because I'm, I, I'm going to talk about it so you as as you know if you've been listening we have a criteria that we a criterion that we judge the books on that we we call offensiveness but it could also be like anti-feminist or whatever or just bad writing or right um and in this case it's more of a trigger warning it's not um, something that I found offensive. So Penelope, when she was younger, was um, a victim of a sexual assault. So that, I mean, that is the trigger warning. And because of it, she felt dirty and unworthy and it affected how she interacted in society. It's part of why she loved animals so much because she d- felt like she was capable of giving love without the caveat of who she was with them. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Personally, I, I mean, again, if you've been listening, you know, I do not have, uh, I, I don't have a huge problem with this if it's, if it's not handled in an offensive way in the book. I did not find that it was handled offensively at all. In fact, I really appreciated the way that it went down. Now, Lane has, has more of an issue with this. And for me, it's it's less, look, do I wish there was another conflict just on principle? Yes, absolutely. These are supposed to be fantasies. They're supposed to be escapist. I get that they're trying to hold a little bit true to historical precedent. And therefore, for young sheltered women, there's only, especially those who are rich and privileged, there's only so many conflicts that can seem plausible in their past. But like, I totally don't give a shit about plausible. The whole reason I read these is for escapism and the fact that I would conservatively estimate more than half 
are either victims or friends of victims and the way men have treated either them or their friends in the past is the defining thing about their previous sexual experiences is just boring. Mm -hmm. And I get that it's accurate in a lot of ways. You know, I don't want to think about it when I'm reading a romance novel. I want to read about Mr. Perfect, not in contrast to shitty men, but just Mr. Perfect. Right. That said, was this the best handling of the situation I've read? Probably, yeah. I yeah. love, she doesn't think about it constantly. It doesn't ruin their hookups prior to her confession. Them talking about it is very much a bonding experience. She owns it. I love the way she thinks about it. She clearly came to terms with this trauma and what it means about her as a person and doesn't mean without the help of any goddamn guy. Mm-hmm. And she gets to own it and handle it. And so... I do not have a problem with the way it is handled. It is not fetishized. It is not sexualized. But more than that, I would not say it defines her. Yeah. And that is why, even though this is my biggest pet peeve in romance novels, this book is still like a four and a half out of five stars for me. Yeah. Well, and for me, like, honestly, the the way that this book talked about ruination, so being ruined as a woman, is what made this book a five star for me. Like this is honestly one of my most highly ranked romance novels. Uh, maybe the best. I don't know if I could put it above Mr. Impossible, but it's it's up there with it, right? Yes. And it's she she looks at it. It's expl- explicitly stated several times. But for example, Gabriel is known as the Duke of Ruin. That's his nickname. And why is he the Duke of Ruin? Because he ruins uh, aristocratic men and how does he ruin aristocratic aristocratic men by financially ruining them so by calling in their debts or by blackmailing blackmailing them about um it's mostly financial matters so he he doesn't usually go you know personal it's it's all money right so I mean, how do you ruin a man you take his money right and how do you ruin a woman will you have sex with her Right. Right. So Penny, Penelope, she rejects this entire idea. She's like, I am not ruined. I maybe someone would consider that I was, but I am not. She makes all of her own decisions uh, about ruination, about how far they go, about the sex that they have, about the sex that they don't have. Like the, she, she also is, challenges him. Yes on why he wants to preserve, protect, whatever, and why he buys into society's ideas of ruination. Yes, exactly. Like, I I truly felt that the way Tessa Dare handled the whole idea of ruination is a little bit paradigm-shifting for romance novels. I mean, we talked about this just recently, about how a, a plot point in lots of books and even books that I like and that Lane likes the plot point is well the the girl's re- reputation is ruined and so she has to marry right well, and, would be ruined if she didn't right would be ruined if she if it got out or if she didn't marry and this is presented in many of the books as just not problematic at all you know it's like, well, she made the decision to go make out with him in the garden. Like, this is what happens. They make out in the garden usually, right? And then they get caught, and then she's got to marry the, the dude. 
Um, that's what happens in these romance novels. And it's presented as like, oh, so the girl will say, oh, don't worry. Like, you don't have to marry me. But they have all accepted and you as the reader sort of accept this idea that, well, you know, she has to, otherwise she'll be ruined. Right. Right. And, and it's, the, the guy is romanticized and viewed as admirable for taking her reputation into his hands. Exactly. And yes. And here that entire idea of ruination, the entire idea of it being romantic is put into question um, in the best possible way. Like I, I just loved, I just thought it was so good. Um, and then the, the fact that the, the very end, so the, the resolution of the conflict is in fact that she takes her future into her own hands and does not allow it to be decided by men. Uh, I just thought was just And in so fact, everyone who helps her is a woman. Yep. So she mm -hmm. doesn't do it alone. This is absolutely a series about friendship. Yes. But women. Exactly. And this is something that I have pointed out, actually I did point out in both of the previous books, that there are examples where the hero does something that I don't think is great. You know, like in the... Um, in the Duchess Dare, she, uh, he goes and like confronts her father. Remember? Yes. And he doesn't ask her about it beforehand. And I was like, Oh, come on. And in the governess game, they're approached at a art gallery and, um, um, Chase like just kind of smacks this guy verbally, a verbal smack down to this guy who's kind of accosting her. Um, and she is in that book in governance game. She's like, no, like, I don't appreciate that you did that. Like now that's just going to bring more attention to us, et cetera. And so these, this is already being put a little bit in a different perspective by the first two in the series. And then I feel like this book really turned it around. In, in any case, I just felt that the, the, the way that ruination in general was handled was just great. And then of course, the best part is that in the end, his reputation, so Gideon's reputation is the one that's ruined because everyone knows that he's not really as ruthless as everyone thought he was, you know? <laughs> yeah, that was great. I just, I just, I just loved it. I just loved it. Um, it was so great. So now to the bread and butter of this podcast, man. <laughs> I, I need to know, Lane, we've talked about, you know, the themes, the resolution. I need to know, was this book sexy? Absolutely. This book is so sexy. Her clothes are not falling off on their own. <laughs> no, I mean, not every time. <laughs> this, this book is so great. Um, and then this has to do with what we, we've been talking about a little bit, but one thing that I love about this book is that consent is presented as super sexy. Yes. So, like, everything that they do, he, it's, it, it, it's, okay, so I'm going to compare this with Sweetest Scoundrel, because that is another book where I think consent is presented as being very sexy. But in that book, the hero knows that she has a traumatic past, and understands that he needs to tread softly with her. In this book, she does not tell him about what happened to her until they have been sexually intimate quite a few times. 
And the reason that she felt that she could be was because whenever she felt uh, at all like she didn't like what was happening, he would immediately stop what they were doing. Um, and I, I just think it was so great because it, it shows you this example. I mean, we've all read about men who just, they don't understand what, you know, when you say no, or they don't understand unless you say the word no, they don't understand that you're saying no. You know what I mean? Which is total bullshit. Like they know, and obviously read this book, Gideon will show you how to do it guys. Okay. Well, it was great too, because Look, it was telegraphed pretty early on that she had a traumatic experience with men that nobody else knew about, but it was not in her mind during the sexy encounters. Mm-hmm. Even she was reluctant or consenting, it wasn't colored by contrast, and that's another comparison to Sweetest Scoundrel, where I think this does it a lot better, but I don't like Sweetest Scoundrel. Mm-hmm. I just really enjoyed that, even though I could see what was coming with this book, that her relationship with him was not about what had or hadn't happened to her with other men. Exactly. And that and, was awesome. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, she is, so this is, it's all internal dialogue. So she doesn't express it out loud, but she talks about how um, she, it, it talks about how she had overcome things with herself. So when she was alone, which I think was really good too, you know? Yes. Uh, so I, I really liked it, you know. It, it was also, there were so many different situations they got themselves into. Uh, yes. And like, <laughs> okay, I alluded to this in my 20-word summary, but she sees him naked in chapter one. Mm-hmm. And it is, she's immediately like, oh, hmm. Yes, please. I'm an inarticulate mess because you're sexy as all get out. Uh-huh. And it is lust at first sight for both of them. They're just so into the other. Yeah. Unapologetically. And so from that very first moment, they are bad at keeping their eyes and then their hands and then their mouths and then the rest of them to themselves. Uh, yes. Uh, you know, I feel like this is a theme when we've talked about Tessa Dare that she, I think she writes like attraction really well. Yes. And I think in this one, you know, obviously it starts out as unresolved, but it becomes resolved sexual tension really quickly. Pretty quickly. Yep. But each sex scene is not just there to be titillating. Like Mm -hmm. they really do build off of each other and build intimacy between the two of them. Yes. In a way that was real hot like there is a scene where she she's wearing his shirt and they are just dry humping uh-huh and it was incredible it's so hot it's really hot yeah it was and even like you talk about your point about the victorian hooker uh yeah this is like this is a book where she starts out as a virgin heroine and uh, ends up having sex in an alley like a Victorian hooker. And I was there for it. Here's the thing. There's a lot of emotional resonance to that moment that would have had me thinking if you described the context of this alley hookup to me, I would have been like, I'm disinterested in the emotional trauma being wrapped up in this sex. I am disinterested in all of the descriptions about refuse and stench in this mm-hmm. sex. Turned out it didn't bother me at all. 
It uh, it was hot. It was really hot. Yeah. Um, I mean, not enough carriages. Not a, you know, not enough carriages, but you know, there there was there was sexual tension in the carriage. There was sexual tension every time these two people were in a room together. I mean, uh, even when they're not in a room together. <laughs> this was, and this wasn't just like they were thinking about each other when they weren't like everything about it. They were so compatible. Yeah, and that became more and more evident. And then on top of that, their like actual sexual relationship is building. And then their decision of whether or not to be together and to get married has nothing to do with their sexual relationship. Exactly. And yes. Someone just give this book a damn gold star. Yes. Uh, oh my god, this book so good. It, I, I just loved this book. I can't even count the sex scenes, and they are all memorable. Like, yeah. How many times have I said about a book, like I had to relook that up to find out, like if there was a specific thing that stood out to me. There are several things about their interactions beyond the like strength of the wider plot. Uh-huh. I am going to remember it. I just want to flip through and read that scene again. Uh-huh. Whether yeah. it was for the comedy or for the sexiness. Oh, the, like, and that's the thing. Like, there's not a part of this book where I was like, eh, could have done without that. And most of the time, I-, I can say that about a book, you know? And I want to phrase one thing in particular that's sort of off topic. There was no better place to discuss it. Uh-huh. We've talked before about some authors are really good about, like, building the wider seed, like, uh, series and uh, some authors are really bad at it yeah the way they preview the next one in this is so perfect so good I and didn't I didn't even catch it Lane until I reread it the second time and I was like holy shit like that one line in like the ep- the, the the actual like wedding scene yes I was like oh my god uh-huh I was like oh damn I I am on Tender hooks waiting for the fourth one, not only because the first three have been stellar and not only because I'm like really attached to these characters and Tessa Dare is amazing, but because the way this book set up the next one is oh. actually fantastic and not just in a, oh, it's because I'm attached to these characters. Like I would read that book independent of all the other factors based on the way it was set up in this one. Uh-huh. Yep. I love, like, those little, were you reading carefully enough catches are my bread and butter. Yeah, like, and it, I, it was so subtle. Like, I, I, I okay, guys, I, yes, I did read this book twice in the past, less than a week. Um, and it was on second reading. I read that chapter, and I was like, oh, my God. Okay, all right. I, <sighs> I, anything beyond this, and we're going to get into spoiler town, so I think we have to stop. Uh, we, uh, uh, yeah, we do have to stop, but I don't want to, <laughs> I could talk about this book all night long. So thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, you can probably tell we highly recommend the wallflower wager by Tessa Dare. But and you read the first two books first. Yes. Yes. It just adds to the pleasure. As always, if you could rate, review and subscribe. And check us out on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We're doing a better job about getting content up there for you guys as well. And we really look forward to the next book we're going to review. Thanks for listening. Bye.